thanks to our title sponsor, National University. National University is committed to supporting veterans, active duty personnel, and military families through flexible online courses and master's and doctoral programs in high-demand fields, providing excellent career advancement opportunity. National University is a yellow ribbon school that proudly accepts the post-9-11 GI Bill and goes the extra mile by offering additional assistance to cover expenses that may not be covered by the GI Bill. To learn more, visit nu.edu forward slash veteran. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fighter Pilot Podcast. I am your host, Vincent Aiello, and you know, it has become tradition here on the show to spend a few moments at the end of each December reflecting on the past year and looking forward to the year to come. Well, in the past, you've heard from my friend Rob Kibbe, who got me into podcasting in the first place. But for this year, I figured who better to join me than my occasional co-host and monthly warbird guru, Trevor Boswell. How's it going, Boat? Hey, Jello. We are doing good. How are you doing? Oh, fantastic. I mean, tell you what, though, a new president, persistence of COVID, 40-year high inflation. I don't know, man. 2021 was quite a year, huh? Yeah, I thought 2020 was the one that was supposed to ruin it all, if you will. But man, 2021 is shaped up to be a doozy as well, for sure. Well, I don't like the trends here, so I hope that 22 will break the mold. But yeah, I mean, gosh, from the podcast point of view, I've got some notes here in front of me just kind of looking at it quarter by quarter or season by season. I mean, starting in the winter right out of the gate, because we had our episode 100 celebration, you remember last year, but the Century Series, that was a lot of fun, big hit. You took two of them and... I thought it was really fun learning about those older interceptors. It was fantastic. You know, we talked a lot about it, I guess, what was that, 2020 and the gearing up for the Century Mm -hmm. Series in line with the episodes and everything. And I'll tell you what, that was a lot of fun just talking hypothetically about doing it. And then we actually did it. It blew me out of the water. It was awesome. That was a lot of fun. And by the way, I spoke with uh, Bruce recently. How's he doing? Well, that's why I emailed him. I said, hey, how's it going? Oh, great. I just got invited to speak to this thing. And oh, cool. he told me he's 85 years old now. And, and so he's crazy running around. We need to bring him back on the show, I think. Definitely. He's quite quite the personality, we'll call it. Oh, yeah, for sure. But on that note, you had a guest on the end of that little season, if you will, on the P-38. I think it was Marshall Hanna. How's he doing? Do you keep in touch with anyone uh, from his family? Off and on. Actually, I kept more in touch with one of the... Uh, ladies that runs the home that he is in. Uh, I think I checked in a few months ago and he was still around, still alive and kicking and all that great stuff. So it's amazing. You know, I was very fortunate and we'll talk, I'm sure about the other episodes that we did the rest of this year, but the older the guests are, it seems like they just keep on ticking. It's crazy. Yeah, they're doing great. And that's fun. And we'll get back to our, as we call them, fallen angels here in a little bit. But let's move into spring. Of course, the big disappointment was that Top Gun Maverick was postponed again. And that's not the last time we'll say that on this little (laughs) end of year summary, as everyone knows. But that was a fun season, if you will, because we had some really interesting topics on the law of armed conflict, DARPA, the Civil Air Patrol. There were some good ones in there. Yeah, kind of the miscellaneous things that really Mm -hmm. provide the foundational level of requirements, if you will, to be a fighter pilot and be within the industry of being a fighter pilot. So yeah, very important and kind of out there, if you will. Yeah. Well, and speaking of being a fighter pilot, since it's our nature to kind of bust each other's stones a little bit, what was up with the Avril Lancaster? You did that episode as a warbird, not a bomber month, even though it's a bomber. So what was the story with that? Well, yeah, just throwing a little curveball. No, but in all seriousness, (laughs) we ask these guests to come on and they do it out of their own goodwill. Mm -hmm. And they don't really ask for anything in return other than just the chance to share the stories and everything. And the Avril Lancaster being one of those kinds of aircraft that falls in the Warbird lane and also falls in Bomber Month lane. You know, we have to be able to give back 
as much as we can to the people that are putting that history out in the air. And so that was one of the reasons why we put it out there because now that's at the start of their kind of fly season, if you will, and they can Mm -hmm. get hopefully a little more audience towards coming out, seeing the airplane and hopefully going up, taking some rides and getting some, you know, much needed funding to keep the aircraft airborne. So a little bit different, you know, you and I had thrown back and forth the idea of keeping it in bomber month style or doing something else. And I think we did the right thing. I hope we did the right thing in that lane. Oh, I agree with you. I mean, obviously, like you said, they're doing us a favor. We're basically, we're a show that relies on the good nature of folks like them. And it's always easier when there's someone who has something to pitch, dare I say, like a book or in this case, the Lancaster. But on the other hand, if they weren't doing that, we couldn't help them, then some of that history would be lost. So definitely, we don't always have to wait for Bomber Month, but Bomber Month is fun. Absolutely. All right. So let's see. Then in the summertime, we had the Battle of Midway. And in retrospect, I was talking to Hoser because as we'll see coming up with 22, we got the 80th anniversary of the Battle of Midway. So we might have struck a year too soon on that, but we might circle back. But that was a good one. And he was our first repeat guest. And then we had the NASA flight test. That was a lot of fun. And the A3 whale. And uh, I think you had a really good one on the P-51, didn't you? Yeah, very fortunate. We had uh, Bud Anderson come on and he's another one of those oldies but goodies that's still around. And we'll talk about it here as we uh, talk some of the things that we did in the fall, but very fortunate to get to talk to a living legend, frankly. Oh yeah. Get the stories, get the experience, get the feel through his words of what it was like to fly and operate and and live in that time and with a P-51. So very, very fortunate there. And from there, we also had the merge. And I think I can probably speak pretty well for the listeners that that was an amazing story. I think you and all the production staff behind the scenes, that was obviously a very large undertaking, but congratulations on something that massive because I know it took a lot of work. It did. It was definitely a lot of work and it was on the backs of a lot of people who frankly didn't get compensated other than the satisfaction of people like you. Thank you very much, Boat. Mm-hmm. We told the story. Sloppy and uh, Andy were happy and uh, so was uh, Jeremy's widow. I enjoyed it as well. We were working on season two. With any luck, that'll be out next year, as we'll get to here in a little bit. But yeah, it was a labor of love. It was fun to see my son kind of bloom in the music part. And then it was just really interesting. I learned a lot through Dakota, the producer, the different ways you can tell different stories. Because, you know, the Fighter Pilot Podcast has a format you're very familiar with, obviously. Sure, but the merge yeah. was different. So yeah, I appreciate you mentioning that. Yeah, absolutely. Getting back to the P-51. So yeah, we got to meet Bud Anderson at Tailhook in Reno. And I'm thinking for you, that must have been a double interesting experience, right? Because you'd never been to Reno. And I don't know, had you met Bud before? Well, no. So, you know, one of the blessings and curses of this whole podcasting experience is you get to meet all these amazing people, but whether due to COVID, schedule conflicts, physical limitations on being able to travel, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. The majority of the time we're sitting there staring at a computer screen at the person that we're talking to, which frankly just sucks a lot of the time. Aren't we doing that right now? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> we are. Yeah. But when you're talking to somebody that has these amazing stories, the experience of doing the interviews in person is tenfold at least better when it's across the table. And I had the advantage of being able to travel out when we did the F-105 on episode 105 and mm-hmm. be with Colonel Morrissey and have that conversation face to face, be in his hangar, surrounded by all the memorabilia in his, you know, man cave, if you will. Yeah. That experience was amazing simply because it was just like having a conversation at a bar and it was great. Yeah. Now fast forward to having a epic conversation about the P51 with a triple ace, you know, that's <laughs> awesome, but we had the limitation of the screen and so being able to meet him and talk to him in person at Tailhook was phenomenal. And 
frankly, I didn't know he was going to be there because he's an older gentleman. And, you know, you know, mm -hmm. especially these days with COVID, you don't know how willing some folks are to travel. So it was great. Yeah. And uh, specific to Tailhook, man, what a blast. That was awesome. <laughs> I appreciate the invite. And I wouldn't necessarily say it was a fish out of water, but there was definitely more water than I was used to, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, a moment ago, I said you'd never been to Reno. I'm sure you've been to Reno. I guess I meant to say you'd never been to Hook. But yeah, I mean, in the end, you have a lot in common with a lot of those folks that were there. And yes, I was also surprised that Bud Anderson was there. It was great to see him. But we saw a lot of past guests from the show. In fact, we had Grand from Episode 7 come join us for dinner that final night yeah. and uh, saw a lot of those other guys. But yeah, just to comment on your remark, I mean, I look back at episodes like the uh, SR-71 where I flew up to Sacramento and went and drove up to see Brian Scholl, and then the UFOs where I flew out to Boston and drove up and saw Dave Fravor. And I think there's an element of the journey to get there that also sets you up for it. But yeah, there's just no substitution for being in person. It makes the interviews so much better. And I really wish we could do that more. But I'll tell you, it also adds to the grind because when you're traveling around that much, it makes it hard. But I guess it's a trade-off. Yeah, pros and cons with everything, but I think probably for the most part, those pros outweigh the cons. Well, you know what else happened in September? We launched the F-14 Tomcast. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Boat. Do you listen to any of those? I have listened to every single one. Is that right? <laughs> every Yeah, absolutely. Why wouldn't I? Awesome. I mean, you know, we talked Top Gun and all the joys and highs and lows of uh, waiting for this movie mm -hmm. to come out. You know, this is a good filler, if you will placeholder appetizer, if you will, for the movie. So I've loved it. You know, I was fortunate in some of the pre practices, I guess, development, whatever you want to call it, to be able to speak with those guys and kind of do a little warm up session with them yeah. to hone the craft. It's fun to watch them to continue to grow in podcasting. I've always said podcasting isn't difficult, but it's relatively difficult to do well. Yeah, It's neat to see them each kind of get into their own style and format. And I'm kind of already a little bummed that we're only going to do this for a year. And so, I don't know, maybe we'll, as we'll talk later on this uh, little end of year wrap up, maybe we'll see if we can carouse those guys, uh, carouse, corral, maybe whatever the word is, get them to uh, come and help out with the FPP from time to time because uh, they're doing pretty well. And yeah, I really enjoy their content. Yeah, I like the back and forth, the banter, and mm -hmm. obviously they're pulling some really good guests to uh, fill in all the little nooks and crannies of the F-14 that you know the general public just hasn't gotten a chance to experience. Yeah. So it's been great. Yeah, but you already hit on it. Of course, everyone knows Top Gun Maverick was postponed yet again. You know what pissed me off the most about that boat? I had yeah. just literally the night before sent a giant email. Of course, I blind copy everyone. But I said, hey, everybody, uh, if you're getting this email, you're a friend of the show or a former guest or whatever. We've got this theater reserved in San Diego. We'd love to invite you in a date. And then boom, the next day, oh, postponed. So obviously, <laughs> I felt like a schmuck, but you know, what am I going to do? I couldn't have known that, but that's what I get for being proactive. I should have just waited, right? Uh, I mean, I think Paramount should bow to our, you know, power, <laughs> if you will, and just push this movie out there. We need to see this thing. <laughs> well, I tell you what, man, if they postpone it again, I'm not going to spell the word boycott, but I'm about ready to tell them you got to come on. Oh my goodness. Yeah. There's going to be <laughs> no, an uprising of epic proportions if this thing just keeps getting strung out. Oh any further. my goodness. Crazy. Yeah. But let's go to brighter news. So we yeah. revisited the F-35 in the fall and got an update, if you will, on kind of where it stood. And what were your takeaways or what was your kind of mindset with one, the episode and two, anything that you thought was kind of a great add to what we had originally talked about? Well, I'm not an aspiring politician boat, but just for fun, <laughs> once in a while, I pretend. So I'm actually going to take your question and tweak it a little bit. Perfect. Because Good. what I do want to say is that YouTube 
is a really interesting animal, and I've actually grown to hate it. <laughs> and it's only because, <laughs> for whatever reason, it's not like I only want to be surrounded by people who love our content. I don't mind criticism. But for whatever reason, the trolls really seem to come out on YouTube. I have learned the hard way, the three things that get people out and fired up more than anything else, not necessarily in this order, are F-35, UFOs, and 9-11. And we did the F-35 and a 9-11 revisit in the yeah. same month. And man, I was not ready to face a lot of the just idiocy. <laughs> you know, I'm fortunate or unfortunate, depending on the you know, view you want to take to see some of those comments and interact yeah if you will. And I'll tell you what, there's some interesting perspectives. We'll put that out there as kindly as I can yeah. to the topics that we're covering. And obviously you hit kind of some of the hot button ones there, but <laughs> there are some interesting perspectives out there and, you know, everybody's mm -hmm. entitled to their own perspective and opinion, but man, I'll tell you what, there are just a wide variety. I have to confess, Bo, once in a great while, when I write my snarky response, which actually that happens all the time, but what's once <laughs> in a while is I think to myself, I wonder if Boat will see this and what he'll think. <laughs> Every now and then I'll say like, oh, wait, I didn't write that. Oh, I know who did. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> that's right. But you know, that's kind of being a fighter pilot. You got to have a little sarcasm and, oh, and, absolutely. Uh, and, a little. and get a little bit of pushback, you know, or whatever, but it's definitely fun to interact with the comments. Yeah either direction, but you can expect that if you're going to give us something, we're going to give it right back for sure. Oh yeah. And sometimes I have to ad admit this. Sometimes I just write what I want to write because I just want to scratch that itch. And then I let it sit for about five seconds. And then I delete the whole comment, mine and his. I don't know about you, but like, depending on what computer you use, you get a little announcement. Like on my Mac, I get a little pop-up in the upper right. Yeah. And I always hope that maybe they'll see that and try to click on it, or at least can read enough of it to get the feel of it, but then they can't find it. Because it just feels good, but it's probably not very helpful. <laughs> Meh, you know, <laughs> each their it, own. It scratches an itch. But there you go. <laughs> anyway, I will leave comments if they're constructive, even if they are somewhat offending. But if it's just like, go Braden or whatever the comment is now that the Trumpers are oh, going. Boy. Or, you just lit a fire. <laughs> I did. I know. I don't, I think I even said, is it Bre whoever it is? No, it's Brandon. I think Brandon, anyway, that's right. Okay. But you know, if it's something political or just plain idiotic, I just delete it. But if it's like, Hey, this guy didn't know what he was talking about. Yeah. I might leave those up there because yeah. they're useful. Absolutely. So, anyway. All right. So back to your question, what I really liked about that episode, not to say that we were the authority to kind of put it to bed once and for all, but there was at least enough comments on YouTube, the other ones notwithstanding, and people who emailed the show that said, you know what, this actually either opened my eyes or changed my mind in some cases, that I felt that was really, that was cool. And Billy, I mean, come on, you can't argue with Billy Flynn. He is an expert, and that's why I didn't mind that he spent 20 minutes on his background, because the whole point is, look, if you want to understand this, you got to spend the time to really listen and you got to know the background of the person who's talking. He's not just some news anchor. So I really enjoyed circling back to that episode. I think it did help. Some people accused us and Billy of being on the Lockheed Martin payroll. That is not the case. <laughs> I just think if this is the airplane we have, let's call it like we see it. Yeah, it's been expensive. Yeah, it's been long and difficult. But man, is it effective. It absolutely is. And I can tell you, I don't remember, you may have discussed it, but did you have anything, any like read into the F-35, any sort of introduction or anything behind the scenes, if you will, for that? No, when I was getting ready to get out, it was happening all around me. If I'd have really pushed, maybe I could have somehow found my way into some of it, but no, I knew it was coming. I knew there was going to be a lot of stuff behind 
windows or I should say windowless yeah. doors and, and buildings, but no. No. So fortunately, unfortunately, depending on how you want to look at that, I had the opportunity and was afforded the opportunity, took the opportunity, whatever way you want to put that to go and do all of those things. Uh-huh. I will say that I am by no means an expert. I've never flown the aircraft. I know enough people that have and do, but every single one of them was frustrated at the outset of the airplane showing up on the ramp. It's a new thing and it's got bugs to work out. But I will say that every single one of them shared Billy and probably most of the current F-35 set of pilots, the opinion that if there is an airplane they're going to go to war with, that's the one they want to go to war with. So speaking of that, we followed it up with the light attack discussion just to give kind of the almost opposite approach. I mean, fairly cheap, simple, easy to fly. And I thought that was a great discussion too. I thought it was fascinating and I have never seen them other than I've seen the T6, but that wasn't part Mm -hmm. of that conversation. But frankly, it kind of is, but it's not directly, but I've never seen one of those light attack candidates, if you will, Mm -hmm. in person, but one, they look cool. All of them look cool. They got a bunch of weapons on them and all that great (laughs) stuff. But in my personal opinion, I feel like that's probably the best way to go forward. If they're not going to keep putting money in the A-10 or develop a new air to ground specific aircraft, I think this is a great stopgap for low intensity conflict. That's true. And then we wrapped up the year with yet another bomber month and I always enjoy saying, right? Nothing says the holidays like a bomber, but what was nice about that was I handed off pretty much the whole thing to you in primetime. And Mm -hmm. some people appreciated primetime style, which is different than mine. And other people thought he was a little dry, but I like the fact that he took a more technical approach. I thought bomber month was a big success. Yeah. I think it's been fantastic. You know, like you said, primetime has got his own style. I have my own style. You've got your mm-hmm. own style. Everybody that's doing this has their own style. And so, yeah. you know, you can like what you like. And if you don't like it, turn it off and move on to the next. It's easy as that. So, and I will tell you, but from my point of view, and I hope I'm only human like this and not some monster, but it's really hard. I'll confess this publicly to listen to the different styles and think, why are they doing it that way? They should do it this way because this is the show or my show, right? I have tried to just like, I hope you're already past it too. Remember when you used to hate the sound of your own voice? Um, <laughs> I've gotten over that and I've gotten over listening to you or primetime or crunch or bio or whoever, right? And thinking, oh, why are they doing it like that? They should do it like this. But I don't know. I just think it's human nature. Probably the reason we do things the way we do is because we think they're right. Yeah, I would agree. And I, you know, I think I've said it previously as well at some of the wrap-up stuff. It's, it is hard to figure out how to interview somebody. Oh yeah. I think we talked about this probably like a year ago, year and a half ago, maybe about, you never know what the person's going to be like once they get behind the microphone and how they're going to respond to questions, how much of an answer mm-hmm. they're going to give and so on and so forth. So trying to navigate, you know, we do our standard litany of questions to our best of our abilities, but there are some transitions that you, me, whoever's the host has to be able to facilitate on the fly. And it is challenging. So primetime style of kind of one question, one answer, move on to the next is a completely valid way to do an interview as well. Absolutely. Like you said, I think there's definitely a positive spin on that type of interview style. And then there's yeah. other styles as well. So I find it interesting, but I don't know about your experiences, but in 129-ish episodes, I don't think I've ever yet found someone who doesn't talk enough. I think everyone who has maybe leaned too far has been the ones that want to just, frankly, keep talking. And that can be its own challenge. But yeah, I've always told the team that if we were a manufacturing facility, if you will, our biggest variability in our production is the guest because we just don't know. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And like you said, if they keep running on, it's hard. You don't want to be rude and cut somebody off, but at the same time, you need to like hone it in in some form or fashion. So. Yeah. Particularly since we're a topical show, right? So we want to cover certain things and I still do this, right? If they don't cover it, I cover it kind of thing. And that's not always necessarily the best way to do it. But again, we're not just Larry King interviewing some celebrity. I mean, Larry King would never put words in someone else's mouth, I presume, but (laughs) we are trying to cover the A3 Sky Warrior. And so if if he doesn't say it, I will. But I think in that case, Rick Morgan pretty much said it all. But all right, but so looking back at 2021, and I know you've got more than one kid, right? I do. I can't ask you which is your favorite, but of all the episodes, either you did or you heard any favorites. And when you ask me in a moment, I'm going to probably struggle. So (laughs) (laughs) fair. I'll say it in I was going to say a specific way, but I can't say that because I realized I did more than one in person. (laughs) You know, I will say that my favorite just interview to do were the ones that I got to go do in person. Okay. The topic one, I think was probably the P51 and most of it was the guest associated with Mm -hmm. it. Just an honor for me personally. So I think looking at it from two different kind of avenues, those would be kind of my two favorites there, but now you get the tough answer here. Well, I think I'm going to cop out on this one and I'm going to say Tiger Cruises because the next bullet on our little list here that I gave you before we started recording is the lows of the year. And of course, uh, I don't think there's any question of my big low and it's still my biggest low of the year and it will be probably the rest of my life. And yeah. That is the loss of my brother, Rocky. And I don't know what I was doing, poking around episodes the other day, but I went back and listened to the announcement that you did a couple of days after. And man, you just nailed it. I mean, it wasn't like you're some great actor and you had to come up with being somber. I mean, it was genuine as far as I can tell. And I feel like I know you pretty well. Yeah. I mean, for our family, that has been and is still a big gut punch. I think my whole family is still dealing with some degree of sadness or even depression, the last time my oldest brother Kai and I saw Rocky was fishing last November. And so we went to that same river this year. We recreated some pictures that he was in last year and we took them in the same style, but with him not in the picture. And we kind of just had oh, wow. not sad faces, but just kind of somber or just kind of very neutral. Yeah, yeah, solemn. That's a good way to do it. Yeah. And we put them together and I threw it on Facebook and said, hey, our first annual Rocky Memorial steelhead fishing trip was a big success except of course we missed our brother, but that's been pretty hard. So obviously I'm so glad I did not throw away those recordings because I'm the kind of person, if I don't think I need something, I usually get rid of it. Yeah. That was good to have. No, you know, the episode alone, the connection notwithstanding was fantastic. And my dad was in the Navy, but I never went on a tiger cruise. I was too young and I was you know, never anything that was something that I was able to be a part of, but just hearing about tiger cruise was awesome. But to understand from you how much your brothers, but specifically Rocky in this case, uh, matter Mm -hmm. and mean to you and getting to kind of experience that experience that you had with them with you through the audio was fantastic. I loved it. It was really memorable. And we're not going to put something out there that's not genuine as a general rule here on the podcast. But I know that all of us here at the show were very impacted by a person we care about, you, hurting and we want to do what we can to support you in whatever form yeah. or fashion that takes. So sucks. And, you know, we all feel like crap because of it. But, you know, as always, oh. we're always here for yeah. you and, and your family. So 
thank you. And a uh, big shout out to our producer, Bernie, who did such a miraculous job. I mean, I should almost play for everyone what that audio sounded like before. They probably <laughs> couldn't even tell. Bernie worked his magic and then didn't even charge us. So publicly, Bernie, you do amazing work anyway, but thank you for everything uh, you do for the Fighter Pilot Podcast. And I'm sure the listeners appreciate it. And so uh, he's been a big help, as have you, Boat. It's really been great developing our friendship. But Frankly, it's also been great having 33% less uh, episodes to do <laughs> every month. But that one was particularly touching. And uh, so I, I really do appreciate that. Well, no, it's absolutely our pleasure. And it was, this is not the end of the episode, but I have appreciated everything that you afforded me the opportunity to do and just let me jump on here and, yeah. and hang out. So it's been okay. a blast. Well, I was going to ask you later, but it seems right to just ask you now. Are you going to keep doing it in the new year? Because I know you got uh, another adult in the house there who probably wonders what you're doing all the time. So do we have her sufficiently uh, satisfied? <laughs> she hasn't said outright no, but... <laughs> that means yes. <laughs> yeah, basically, basically, yes. You know, it's like when you get to the end of your military career, I'm sure you had some other individuals that had some opinions about whether you're going to stay or go kind of thing. And yeah. she hasn't given me any sort of ultimatum yet. So general, okay. keep playing at least for a little longer. All right. Well, I hope to get to meet her at some point so I can thank her in person. But in the meantime, maybe, I don't know if I'll help my cause by meeting her or not. But, uh. <laughs> Flowers do help though, for what that's worth. Explain that if you don't mind. So I'm not tooting my own horn. Well, here we are. We just finished Tailhook. This is like the weekend following, I want to say, give or take. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden we hear a knock on the door, but it's not the door. It's our you know phones because it's the florist, as my family is out of town, ringing the bell with a delivery for flowers. And that happened to be my anniversary weekend. And so all of a sudden there's flowers coming to the door and our neighbor was there to pick them up. And she was kind enough to read the card to my wife and was like, who's this? Vincent person uh, <laughs> sending you flowers on your anniversary. So Jello was kind enough to support our fun here by giving flowers to our significant others for the spouses of everybody behind the scenes on the show, which was a lovely surprise, putting me behind the power curve when it came to uh, gifts on my anniversary weekend. But otherwise, it was great. I thought I would let you off the hook because you don't need too many flowers in the house. But... <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It wasn't everybody. I should clarify that I had sent a note that said, thank you for allowing your husband to come out and play at Tailhook. And I sent those to the different folks because we talked about you and I being there, but we had uh, Scott and Rob and golly, I can't remember. Stiller, Stiller. Yep. and a whole bunch of guys. If I didn't name you, it doesn't mean I don't care. So I just thought, I don't know. I just had this revelation. Like, I'm guessing there's all these spouses that are wondering, what are you doing and who is this guy and why are you doing it? So I just had the notion like, okay, flowers aren't that much. Send them to the spouses. Tell them thank you for letting your husband come and play. Boy, I did hear from a couple of them. So <laughs> I think it was a moment of brilliance, maybe. <laughs> you nailed it. I will say that. Okay. Well, like I said, I don't mean to toot my own horn, but we got off on a bit of a tangent there, but we were identifying the three fallen angels that we had in True. 21. And our first was Ray Janes, which actually came not long after the F-102 episode. Mm -hmm. So that was depressing. Uh, then it was Rocky. But that one was kind of out of order. We sort of played that one uh, because he was fallen. And then, of course, Crawford Hicks, our B-17 guest. That was really sad, too. Yeah. It's always sad to lose somebody that has provided so much, not only for us and the show and everything like that, but just to the world in general. And yeah. uh, he was one of those types of people that you hate to see leave us. He led such a rich life. And I 
think if I could speak for him based on the little time we had together when I interviewed him, he, he seemed like he was quite content. So I hope he went peacefully. And I'm sad to say that he won't be the last fallen angel we'll have. As you mentioned earlier, we do have guests who are advancing, yep. to put it politely, right? Yep. But then there's also accidents, as we learned. So yeah, we'll see. All right, moving on. All right, Boat, I always make you, so let's see, if you can take number 15 and 20, no, I'm just kidding. So <laughs> I want to thank our top 20 Patreon supporters over the years, and I'll just read them off so you can take a break here. In order of, and I don't know if we should just say it's by amount, but it is. There's also people that have been with us a long time, but we've got to pick something. And so this is the discriminator we're picking. So from number one as the most to number 20, if I may just announce and thank publicly, Peter Keelan, Robert Douglas Miller, Sandra Newman, George Bravo, Bill Horvath, Gordon Bradbury, David Marquard, Mike Turner, Matthew Brahms, Patrick Peterson, Hukit Sam, William Kwan, Matt Southern, Nicholas G, Tyler Matayoshi, Brian Heine, Andrew King, John Saldow, Jacob Walker, and Lucas Graham. You all, men and women, ladies and gentlemen, are fantastic. We thank you because you frankly make this show possible. Yes, we did start by giving it for free, but now it has turned into a business. Frankly, we have expenses. I have to pay folks like Boat and Bernie and others to help with the show. They're making that possible. Plus, they get the bonus content on Patreon, which is wonderful. So thank you to all of you and to uh, everyone who else supports on Patreon and is thinking about it because uh, we're having a lot of fun over there. So go check it out. There's about 500 people, but I wish I could read them all. Maybe one day we should. I guess what? Once in a while, don't we list all their names at the back of a YouTube video or something? Every now and then we do. <laughs> Obviously, we did the Pearl Harbor episode at the beginning of December and that at the very tail end. I think we did it at the end of the Battle of Midway episode as well. We kind of I don't know, briskly rolled through the list of everyone, but they were all there and we appreciate everything that you all afford us the opportunity to do, like I said, in the uh, special there. So it does make a world of difference to have you guys helping us out here on the show. It was designed to fly fast in that treetop level, carrying 24 nuclear weapons. Today, it bristles with smart bombs and guided missiles. The B-1 bomber, called the bone by those who fly and maintain it, is the most heavily armed bomber ever built. Sleek and powerful, the bone remains a mainstay of American air power 50 years after its first flight. Hey everyone, this is Ken Katz, call sign Primetime. And my book, The Supersonic Bone, A Development and Operational History of the B-1 Bomber, tells the true story of this magnificent airplane. In this book, you'll read stories told to me by those who were there and see lots of great photos of the bone. Anyone with an interest in modern military aircraft will enjoy reading The Supersonic Bone. Available through the usual online retailers and aviation booksellers. Pick up your copy today. Okay. Well, but that is going to do it for 2021. Now I want to look ahead at 2022, but before we do, you know, it still has some mail in it. The old mailbag. The old mailbag. That That's right. A little bit rhetorical, wasn't it? Mail in the mailbag. Anyway, <laughs> so we've got a handful of these. What do you say we clear these out before we get into the new year? Yeah, let's see what we can do. All right. Let's start with a phone call. Hey there, Jello and the team. My name's Tyron. I'm calling from Sydney in Australia. I just had a question about like pilot aircraft versus drone. I was wondering why 
drone aircraft tend to have their propulsion in a pusher configuration, I think it's called. I'll ask piloted aircraft have their propulsion in a uh, tractor configuration. Yeah, it's just something I've always found to be quite interesting, and uh, I was wondering if you could clear that up for us. Thanks for all the hard work you guys do, and thanks for all the podcasts. They're very entertaining. Keep up the good work down here from everyone in Australia. All right, Tyra, if I got the name correct there, uh, thanks for your question. And Boat, I'm going to put you on the spot here and see if you have a guess here on why most drones or RPVs or UASs or whatever the heck we're calling these things nowadays, why they are mainly pushers instead of a lot of pullers, if you will, like a Cessna. I don't know. It's a weird topic in my mind because I always think of regular piloted aircraft and we've got that engine in the front or somehow, some way it's got specifically props, because there aren't too many jet UAVs at this point. There are a bunch, but they're, you know, it's not as prevalent as like predators mm-hmm. and reapers. My guess is kind of like you said in the question is, you know, you want to avoid the IR signature of the exhaust and, and everything. But I don't know. I think it's probably because they just look cooler. I mean, that's all this aviation stuff is about <laughs> looking cool. So I, I think it's got to be that it just looks cooler. That's all. Yeah. I'm going to give the uh, listeners here a little peek behind the scenes on how we do business here. So here was my email that I forwarded to Recky and Thrills. You remember them? Yeah. Uh, Recky was our uh, test pilot school and Thrills was our uh, NASA guy. So I said, hello, Recky and Thrills. I hope you're both doing well and enjoying the holidays. Wondering if one or both of you can handle this listener question below. I'd guess sensor placement, but then I've seen footage of the sensor looking back through the prop. So perhaps not. So then Thrills forwards this to uh, Scott Howe, call sign Jelly. So Jelly and Jello, we need to get together. And he goes, hey, Jelly, do you know the answer to this? I kind of assume the sensor thing, and I think pushers can technically be more efficient, I think. So <laughs> Thrills, I'm airing your dirty laundry here because you're supposed to have the answer to everything, Mr. NASA test pilot. But So anyway, Jelly responds, I've always been told it's for the camera for which a pusher configuration is a pretty elegant solution giving an unobstructed forward view for pilot-in-the-loop flying of UASs. Initially, I think the pre-predator, in parentheses he writes, Nat, Albatross, whatever, models just had a fixed nose camera mounted at approximately the waterline, but then added the slewable ball turret under the chin for the surveillance mission. All right, Boat, so looks like, uh, yeah, forward, because that's how it used to be when... They weren't slewable. Now they're slewable, but it still makes sense. So that works for me. Yeah, it works for me as well. <laughs> All right. Next, let's take another phone call. Good morning, Joe. This is James Babbitt in South Carolina. I am a former Marine enlisted air crew member from a CH-53 squadron back in the early 80s. I'm referring back to your fighter podcast episode 122 about the CH-53. You had the episode spot on, including the definition of shitter, because that's exactly what it was, seeing all the exhaust gas being shit all over the sky. I want to give you guys a hand, definitely four stars out of four for this. This is fantastic. Keep it up. Well... Damn, James, now that you're going to say shitter, I guess we're going to have to mark explicit on this episode. And uh, I guess it's a free-for-all now, Boat. <laughs> let him riff. <laughs> the CH-53 was a fun episode. Did you catch that one? I did, and it was a lot of fun. Awesome guest and you know, surprisingly fun topic, I guess. You know what I'll say about that? And this isn't a slight at Twitch. 
with 130 episodes now-ish, I have had on occasion, including that one, which is why I bring it up, people who have said, why did you get a guy with only a thousand hours or whatever the case is? And I say, you know, look, I get people who are willing, right? Back to your variability thing before, who, if they're willing to do it, that's a big win. If they've got at least a thousand hours, that's kind of usually my cutoff. Some of the exotic aircraft, nobody had a thousand hours in. But hey, it's about the people. It's about the stories. And yeah, there's probably people. In fact, I can guarantee there are people out there with more CH-53 hours than Twitch. But I thought it was a good discussion and he conveyed the information. So I thought it was fine. No, I thought it was great. And I will say personality goes a long way Mm. in the enjoyment factor for sure of episodes. (laughs) But just in the rapport you have with the person that you're interviewing, it goes a long way to make a better product in in a lot of ways. I agree. All right. Well, anyway, thank you, James, for the compliment. And yeah, we all enjoyed that episode as well. So hopefully more to come. All right. Another phone call. Hey, Jello, the Fighter Pilot Podcast team. Thanks for what you're doing. It's a super fun podcast. My question is, maybe I missed it, but can you do an episode on the B-1B bomber? It's one of my favorites. And the few swept wings we have, it's unique and fun. And then my next question is, you guys train so much on emergencies. Have you ever had an in-flight emergency? And how'd you handle it? Were you uniquely qualified for that particular emergency? Anyways, I'm Ryan Bodley from Preston, Idaho. Okay, thanks, guys. All right, well, thanks for your two-part question there, Ryan. Boat, I'll put the first one to you. What do you think? Should we do an episode on the B1? Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a second. Didn't we already do one of those? Oh yeah, like episode sixty-six. It's like back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. We'll take it easy on you, Brian. But yes, we did do an episode in our very first bomber month, actually. Go check out episode sixty-six if you haven't found it already. And you know what, boat? We're getting big enough now as far as the amount of shows that it's okay. Stuff gets lost because there's just a lot of it, you know? Well, I have a small brain too, so my memory is just <laughs> not that good. Well, I wasn't picking on you, mister, but <laughs> anyway. Well, speaking of small brain, open up that big brain of yours and tell us about your in-flight emergencies because I have to think there's probably fewer pilots who have never had an in-flight emergency, to Ryan's question, than those who have. And so I've never had anything super exotic, but what have you had? I wouldn't say anything super exotic, you know. You've flown the F-16, you know what the oil mm-hmm. gauge looks like on that thing. We called it the peanut gauge because basically they paid somebody peanuts to make it. <laughs> yeah, but it's the most important gauge. <laughs> it's literally the most important gauge and they, it costs like 12 cents to make apparently. And that's the product you get is a 12 cent product. So inevitably that thing is just bouncing around and it's got its prescribed spot that's supposed to be on the dial and everything. But for all intents and purposes, it's just a thing plugged into a thing. And if the connection's bad, then the gauge fails. Well, if the gauge fails for an oil system on a single engine aircraft, bad things are bound to commence afterwards. And not that I've had that issue to me where it's completely failed, but I've had issues with the oil system that have made me go back early, divert mm-hmm. someplace else or whatnot. So there's that one. And then I did have the deployment sortie when I was based in Masao Air Base in Japan, northern Japan, from Singapore was our stopover point on our way to Iraq for Iraqi freedom. And from Singapore all the way to Iraq, there's not much of a uh, direct line that you're going to be able to fly across. You're not going to get access through India, Pakistan, the Middle East, and everything else. I'm pretty sure Iran doesn't want my F-16 flying through it. And so the only other option is around 
all of the Asian continent via the Indian Ocean and through the Persian Gulf. And that's about a 12-ish hour sortie from Singapore to the middle at the time, uh, Balad Air Base in Iraq was where we were based. About four hours into that, so somewhere near the southern tip of, I think it was India, if I'm doing my geography correctly here, there's not much land where we were. All of a sudden, I had my engine nozzle start to open. And if anybody understands jet engine technology, the variable nozzle at the back of the F-16 engine and F-15s and so on, you know, opens and closes, and that is all responding to where your throttle input is. And if it's wide open, depending on if it's in afterburner or non-afterburner, that will produce more or less thrust, depending on what stage of thrust it's trying to produce. And so I was just cruising along at like 320 knots. So I wasn't trying to do anything exotic. We're behind a tanker and we've just been droning along for four hours, telling bad jokes to each other or whatever else you do on a long deployment sortie. <laughs> All of a sudden, my nozzle starts to open. And when it's opening and you're not in afterburner, it's losing thrust. You know, it's kind of like a jet ski exhaust. You know, it's very concentrated. Well, if you diffuse the exhaust, it's just not going to produce that much thrust. And that's what was happening to me. And so couldn't figure out what was going on. We have two engine modes on that aircraft. It was a digital electronic engine computer, the Deke. And that's the digital side. There's an analog side and you switch to the uh, analog side and it's locked down tight. And that's what keeps it locked down. You lose your afterburner ability and everything, but so on and so forth. And good enough to continue, if you will. And we do. Right decision, wrong decision, who knows? But thus far, I was able to continue moving a combat asset towards the AOR. And uh, about four hours later, all of a sudden that nozzle starts to open again and there's no other backup mode. And so it was time to divert. So I ended up having to divert into another airbase on the way. But that was the scariest, probably, in-flight emergency that I've ever experienced. Because if I was going out of that airplane, it was in the middle of the Indian Ocean. I was going to be in that raft for a long time. Well, plus there's some trepidation about diverting into a foreign field. I mean, the two stories I'm thinking of using to answer Ryan's question were both, I just went back to the field I took off from. And so there's no concern about a new field and will there be a language barrier? How good is the runways or FOD, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. That must've been pretty harrowing, but yeah, just a couple for me. Uh, so one, I know you didn't do this in your F-16 there boat, but in the F-18 on post-maintenance check flights, we used to deliberately shut down one engine and check different systems. And I did that on an aircraft and I couldn't restart it. Oh, So I tried a couple different modes and it just would not restart. So I just flew it back single engine, which worked out fine, but it was you know a little bit interesting. And then on another one, it was funny that morning, we're sitting around the ready room, standard pilot banter. And we were for whatever reason talking about never taking a barrier cable which I know for you guys is kind of a big deal for us. It's not that big a deal because we do it on purpose at the boat, yeah. but I'd never done it on the field. And I was saying that and I was flying that day and guess what? <laughs> <laughs> I went out and had a landing gear problem and had to come back and take the cable. It wasn't a big deal. Flew right into the thing, but it was just the one I remember. And I'm sure I've had other things, but the fact that I had to search the recesses of my mind for something interesting suggest that I didn't have anything too exciting over the years. I never ejected, so that's good. Yeah, same. Did you ever jettison any external stores? No, just pickled bombs, obviously, but okay. never, not that I can think of. Again, yeah. I don't know, man. That's, I tell you, the longer I get from it, not only the better I was, but the more I forget, so I can just make it up. But, <laughs> Fair um, point. I jettisoned external tanks twice, and it was all for potential low thrust situations, just not okay. in a an ability to glide at a one-to-one -one glide oh, ratio geez. back right. to base, but all right. alive to tell the story, so here we there go. There you go. 
By the way, that 12 cent gauge you were talking about, come on, boat, nothing costs 12 cents in the military. That thing was probably $1,200. <laughs> well, the actual cost is 12 cents, uh, but yeah, uh, the, the standard markup is uh, you know 50,000 <laughs> times more or whatever. Crazy. All right. Let's get through the rest of these. Here's uh, our last phone call for 2021. Wonderful podcast. Enjoy it so much. Two questions. The first is I'm building a uh, Super Hornet Jolly Rogers, and I'm looking at photos, and I notice in the exhaust on the inside, one is charred black, and the other exhaust is white or off-white, eggshell white. I don't know. You'd talk to my wife. She'd probably tell you the exact color I'm looking at, but why is that? And the second question, have you ever had a fly in the cockpit while you're flying, and you look at the fly, and you look at your number on the HUD, did you ever think like, this is the world's fastest fly in this moment in time? Oh, I forgot, this is Dutch from Lodi, California. My bad. And my call sign is now stupid. All right, thank you very much. All right, Dutch, thanks for the question. Yeah, Lodi, I've driven through there a number of times on Highway 99. Good question. You know, I wondered this myself. I didn't know. So I put it to a maintenance officer friend of mine who I worked with. And he said, the standard color is white, which is the ceramic coating on the afterburner flame holder segments. The afterburner liner, which is the inside walls of the AB, that's titanium. So it shows dark gray. And he says, if he, that's you Dutch, is looking at a difference in color between two engines, it is most likely that the white flame holder was recently replaced while the darker gray or black one has been in use longer and has soot built up on it. Probably not the exotic answer your listener was looking for. So I don't know. I guess that seems reasonable. Boat, do you ever look up the rear end, uh, so to speak, of an F-16 and see different colors than you expect? Yeah, same thing. I think probably yeah. all of those engine types are about the same, yeah. Fantastic. All right, now we just have two emails, and I'll read the first one here for you there, Boat. said, recently a local F-16 Air National Guard squadron painted one of their jets to commemorate their unit anniversary. And it struck me that since the Gulf War, colorful U.S. jets have become the domain of aggressor squadrons and demonstration teams like the Thunderbirds or the Blue Angels. Now, I would add to this here, Lucas, that in the Navy, our CAG birds are a little more colorful. But at any rate, uh, he continues, it seems up until the mid-80s, Air Force and Navy jets had colorful and attractive liveries like the VF-84 Jolly Rogers. Even the rule happy Air Force, sorry about his words, not mine, had <laughs> shark mouths painted on their Southeast Asia camo phantoms. Then suddenly it's as if the DOD threw away all their paint cans except for the gray ones after the late 80s. Why is low-vis gray now the standard color scheme? Is it because testing showed gray delayed visual identification by the enemy? Was it to cut on maintenance costs? Was it political correctedness forbidding attractive yet crude art like pirate flags and sexually risque references. Finally, with fifth generation technology rendering visual combat obsolete, his words, not mine, might there be an opportunity for aggressive color schemes to make a comeback? Thanks in advance for your time, and this is sweet. I'll also take a moment to convey my condolences for your brother, Rocky. Thank you very much for that, Lucas. All right, but a lot of questions in there. You wanna take a stab at any of these? Sure. My first inclination on why we're just kind of plain Jane Gray these days is, and I'm by no means a paint expert or coding, it's probably more correct coding these days, mm, Yes, is that it has a lot to do with the radar absorbency of the material as opposed to the Air Force, give myself some crap there, 
you know, the Air Force is, is trying to tighten up on the rules and stuff. Now, I will say that you look at an F-35, let's take that one, for example. It does have designs on it, right? You've got the roundel, you've got the mm-hmm. wing and base identification and so on and so forth. So it is possible, but obviously you're not going to get maybe the extreme colors of the past solely because the paint and the radar absorbency requirements to make it as stealthy as it's supposed to be just won't allow for it. That being said, if you look at trainer aircraft, specifically mm. T-38s, and maybe I think maybe some T-6s, but it definitely is T-38s, they have started really painting those things in all different colors, patterns, and yeah. the skull and crossbones and all that stuff is out there. And then some of the uh, demonstration teams obviously are painted in different right. patterns, the Thunderbirds, the Viper demo, the A-10 demo, and so on. So oh, yeah. there are some that are painted in fancy colors and stuff, but Jello, you have any thoughts on that one? Well, in the Navy as well, the E-2 Hawkeye still has the high gloss paint, as does the C-2 Greyhound, soon to be replaced by the CMV-22. It's not completely obsolete, but yeah, I asked that same contact, uh, Joel, who helped with the afterburner exhaust information. He gave me almost too much information. Thank you very much, Joker. But one of the things he said that I thought was interesting is the flat tactical gray has proven to be the best color. Makes it hard to see the aircraft, which is one of the suggested answers he had provided. Blending into the blue or gray sky background. Extra layers of glossy color paint add weight to the aircraft. I didn't know about that. As that builds up over time, it can add hundreds of pounds to the aircraft weight and affect flight performance. Gloss paint is hard to get off later. And then, yes, as you said, Boat, the low observable stuff is important for F-18EF and the F-35 with its VLO coatings, etc., now, that being said, Joker did send me some pictures of some CAG birds, as well as uh, his VFA-115 squadron. Of course, they'll paint bombs and silhouettes if they drop bombs or shoot somebody down. But also, that particular squadron had some really cool memorial markings from 9-11. Engine 54, for example, 4-truck Battalion 9 from New York City. So, yeah, there's some, but the low-vis gray is for that reason. It's low visibility, which is good tactically, and it seems to be good for weight and other reasons, as pointed out. So good stuff. All right, Boat. One more question. It's from Matt, and he says, I was wondering if there is a minimum altitude at which the usage of countermeasure flares are allowed, as I assume you want them to burn out before they hit the ground and cause a fire. Similar to minimum altitudes to dump fuel for airliners and such, in a dogfight or similar scenario, I don't think any pilot would really care, but I've seen video of transport helicopters dropping countermeasures over residential areas, such as, say, in Iraq during transit recently, and wondered if there were rules for that or if it's just the pilot's discretion. So, Boat, I'm going to put this to you, but before we do, for training, at least in Fallon, where I did a lot of my training, in the summertime, we had a no flare restriction. You couldn't carry flares because they didn't want to fire on the range because it would shut down your training. And at all other times, it was 2,000 feet AGL for the reasons that are mentioned in this question by Matt. So what do you think about though in a combat environment or you were deployed to Iraq? Was there yeah. rules of engagement or it wouldn't be ROE, but it would just be kind of theater spins, wouldn't it? Yeah, basically, yeah. Special instructions mm-hmm. for the acronym fans out there. So for training purposes, the Air Force, the Navy, I think all U.S. military, probably NATO as well. It's kind of a NATO standard about that 2,000-foot minimum thing. If you are able to evaluate the training space and determine the fire danger, that would also potentially remove your ability to use flares and force you to be dry or no flares only. So that is for sure in training. In combat, 
it's combat. So <laughs> you got to do whatever you got to do to survive. And if you're at low altitude, the fire on the ground is relatively speaking a flare versus an aircraft that's been shot down. I'm pretty sure I'd rather have the flare yeah. catch something on fire than a giant airplane crash into a house or something like that. So combat's a little bit different and there are some are changes, but yeah, spins wise, you've got to have some, I guess, common sense about utilization of flares. If it's not important to that specific mission, you're probably not going to use them. But isn't that kind of the point of paying military aviators the big bucks is you don't just go out like a robot. You want to go out and think about what you're doing and what needs to be done. And we talked about a lot of that in the law of armed conflict with Shannon Copeland. Yeah. Is, is it, there was a fancy word she had, what was it? But right, is it proportional, I guess. So proportional, if yeah. you're doing a show of force, you might actually want to drop flares depending on what's going on. Or if you can just elevate or speed up and get out of there, well, then maybe you don't need to drop flares or whatever. But yeah, and the bottom line is you're going to do what it takes to save the aircraft, but you try to also stick with the intent that is provided to each and every one of us who, by the way, when we get home, have to answer for why and what we did. Yeah. Self-defense is always authorized mm -hmm. and you're always allowed to protect yourself. But again, just like you said, you've got to be able to back it up with, here's what I saw, here's what I did, and here's why. Yeah. Obviously nobody's going to accept any kind of flat hatting. Oh, I saw a big parade. So I flew downtown and dropped a bunch of flares on them. Okay. Well, you know, for what threat, for what reason were you there? What, you know, so yeah, we're going to hold people accountable. All right. But with that, dare I say our mailbag is empty for 2021, sir. We have done it. I love it. For now. I'll probably get a new one as soon as we hang up. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, Jello, it is year five. How do you feel about that? old, <laughs> tired, a little grouchy, maybe. No, I don't know. It's an accomplishment. And I will tell you, I think I'm at the point where I don't want to scare anyone, but if we did decide to hang it up or hand it off or pause or something else, I don't think anyone could accuse us of not doing enough. Like you said, entering our fifth year, I think we've done a lot. There's more to do and I'm, I'm not hanging it up. But if at some point I hit my head or just have enough and decide to, I don't think anyone can say we uh, gave it a half effort. I think we've done some good work. Man, I hope not because I have been fortunate enough to be able to see behind the curtain and see the wizard at work and <laughs> it is a busy place. Yeah. And you know, you talked about the grind mm -hmm. earlier and trying to meet guests and everything and it is tough. And I took a fair number of episodes this year, but Thank you. even just that was challenging and it does take effort to coordinate those recordings and interactions, all that stuff leading up to, you know, what is typically like an hour to an hour and a half of actual recorded time that is then edited down to, you know, whatever everybody gets to hear yeah. on the show. And so it is a lot of work, but boy, it is rewarding. And I don't think anybody would ever fault you for not trying, if you will. Well, I appreciate that. I think a lot of it too is human nature, right? When something is new and exciting, you'll put a lot of effort into it. When my uh, wife and I met, she lived in Arkansas, I was in Pensacola at flight school and she would drive down 12 hours to see me. Now it's hard to get her to go 10 minutes to the airport to pick me up, you know? <laughs> Or even upstairs to grab something for you. Right. you know? Yeah, I understand that well. Yeah, But no, it's still fun. We're going to keep it going. And yes, thank you for the segue there, Boat. In this fifth year, we'll of course shift our release schedule to the fives because why not? So this year was on the fours, fourth, 14th, and 24th. Now we'll be on the fifth, 15th, and 25th. And I guess this will work until we get to what, the eights or something, nines? I guess then in February we'll have problems, but we'll see what yeah, happens maybe. by then. But you know, the other thing I want to do, but we've been making Bernie kind of work extra hard and we don't really have a theme of our own, if you will. 
You do mm-hmm. as a Warbird guy. But I think we're going to just go to a single song for next year just to keep it simple and to just kind of have a FPP theme. So our buddy Jaime in Spain there, who's our musician, he is going to make a song that we're going to use pretty much every time. Maybe if we get bored, we'll mix up the comms a little bit, you know, those exciting calls you hear. Yeah. But otherwise, I think we'll just do that because eh, it just makes sense and it's simpler. That's fair. Yeah. We've got more exciting content coming up. We've got some fun topics like flight surgeons and other topics like that. Uh, let's see. We've got more aircraft. We're going to, I think, get around to the Jaguar and the Lightning, not the Lightning 2, but the Lightning. And both. A lot of folks, especially my Navy buddies, keep asking, when are you going to do the Prowler or the Growler or the P3 or the P8? You know, folks, my standard answer is if we haven't covered it and it's an operational military aircraft, it's on the list. So please be patient. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what else is big about this coming year, Boat? I bet you can guess. I'm fortunate to have the notes in front of me. So yes, (laughs) I can. But like we started off with the Pearl Harbor special this year, it's the 80th anniversary of many things that happened within World War II. And so there is a lot to cover. Yeah. How in-depth, maybe is a good question, Jello. How in-depth do you feel like we're going to get with that? You know, I don't know. I've learned in past end-of-year summaries not to promise too much because then it's just extra stress if something changes to try to make it work so we don't sound like we're a bunch of flakes. Yeah. So I'd love to say that we're going to talk about the Battle of Coral Sea and Guadalcanal and anywhere else that aviation played a big role. But the only thing I know of for sure right now is that Kevin Miller, Hoser, our buddy, he's going to be back to talk about the Battle of Midway in some form or other. And you've still got access to different warbirds, including some of the ones that were at the Battle of Midway. So let's just say we're going to give it a college try. Will that suffice? That's a fair answer. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think also, too, I think, what do you feel like about changing up some of the months that we've not traditionally done ah. in the past. How do you feel about that? Without giving anything away. Okay. And you mean like bomber month, like that kind of thing? We've had bomber month, but yeah. what if we change it up instead of aircraft centric? What if we did ah. other centrics, if you will? Yes, I think that's a good, hey, over to you. If you want to mention the thing you and I have been kicking around for a while, go ahead because then it's on you, not on me. <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm just one small part of this operation. Uh, don't you, very good. Don't you, no, yourself? you and I have discussed the idea of doing like a red star month where we talk mm-hmm. about adversaries or aggressors, however you want to put it. Mm-hmm. So we could have an episode with a Navy guy. We could have an episode with an Air Force guy and then an episode with a civilian guy each of us know in fact you and i were both those at one point yeah uh, not the civilian side but so yeah we could look into that i've always thought we should do like go grab a officer recruiter and have him kind of pitch his service his or her right so we could do that we've talked about trainers we could circle back to army aircraft though we've done that one but i think we're about running out of bombers i know there's still bombers out there but it's just getting hard to find it's getting slim yeah to talk about it so I don't know. What am I missing? There's probably some other good topics out there. I feel like there's been certain focuses that we've done, obviously, literally focuses, bombers and and Mm. army and everything like that. But we haven't looked at foreign aircraft maybe as much as we could. Yeah. That being said, it is hard to find guests that are, one, willing to come and talk to us and two, have the bona fides, if you will, to Ah. speak smartly on it. But I think we have some probably that are going to be able to to speak smartly. You talked about the Jaguar and and Lightning. And I don't know, maybe there's another British warbird out there that I can throw in. Ah, we could have a British month. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. It sounds like a good idea. 
lots of ideas, lots of possibilities. Yeah. And hoopla, frankly, keeps it fun, right? Because again, we've both mentioned the grind, but if we have some hoopla coming up, especially mm-hmm. if I can hand off to Ken Katz or someone else, right? That makes it interesting. But yeah, I think we can definitely take a look at, I mean, I'm hoping to have Top Gun month. Well, I was going to say, you have, you always have <laughs> Top Gun to bank on as you know a month that you can focus on. Yeah, but if they'd ever let us have it, for heaven's sakes, <laughs> not to keep beating up Paramount here publicly, but at any rate. So yeah, hopefully that'll be in May. And then I know you've got some other Warbird stuff you want to do. I don't know if you want to allude to any of that, but. Well, we're going to look at possibly instead of doing one Warbird a month, we may just do a whole month of Warbird topics that will all lead to potentially some of this 80th anniversary kind of stuff that we're looking at for the future. So a whole month, maybe, uh, I don't know, April or something like that and jump into some other topics that are tangential, but critical to Warbirds for sure. But if we do that in April, Boat, aren't you still on track to uh, move seats right before that? Is this going to be a good idea? I don't want to get in trouble with your airline, which is also my airline, or your boss there So at the house. Well, you know, the beauty of this job is you can kind of go at your own pace, whether you need to speed up and go real fast or pull it way back. So hold on. Are we talking about flying or podcasting? All the above. Yeah. All the above. <laughs> no, or marriage. Oh, well, I don't know how slow Let's leave you can that go one alone. Yeah, anyway. yeah. 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 That's Moving a touchy on. subject. But no, I think the beauty of podcasting is you can speed up and kind of do a lot of recordings for things that aren't time critical or you don't need a specific time of the year or time of day or whatever you want to call it to record those episodes. So I can kind of front load a bunch of this stuff and get it all done and then not take a break by any stretch, but take a breather if you will, and let the episodes breathe on their own when they go live. That sounds good. So, well, I hope you're able to make that work and I don't want to get you in trouble with anyone. So, but that's also coming up for 2022, isn't it? You're going to uh, become captain Boswell. Yeah. It's been a while since I've been a captain. This will be a nice little change of pace, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. We'd covered some of this when I was co-hosting a few episodes back, but yeah, looking forward to it. Maybe March, April, sometime around there is kind of when we're projected. See, that's true. You, because of the rank differences, you've already been a captain. I've never been a that's captain, right. so I'm kind of looking forward to this. So I might be, <laughs> what, about a year away because I was hired a year after that's you? That's about right. Yeah, that's about right. That's a scary thought. I was just starting to build some seniority finally. I'm not four from the bottom anymore. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like 28 from the bottom now. So yay. Anyway, all right, but well, gosh, I don't know about you, but we probably need to wrap this year up and this little bonus up. So what else is there? This has been a blast. You know, it's been busy and we talked about the grind, obviously, but it has been a, a lot of fun. Uh, we appreciate everybody that we've been able to interact with that has supported the show in whatever form that is. And all of the guests along the way, you all have made, I think my life and I'll speak for Jello that you oh, know, yeah. it's been a fulfilling experience for both of us to put this out there for everybody. So thank you for everybody. And I'll just end it with happy new year from my end. All right, but well, I want to thank you personally. And while I'm thanking you, if I may, I'd like to thank the rest of the BVR Productions team. That's Jaime, Yannick, Rob, Jeff, Scott Morris, Baltic Dragon. Sorry, Baltic Dragon. I can't say your real name. Uh, BD, as we say. U-Boat, Mike Valencourt, Ben, or Stiller, Dakota, and Scott Chafian. And anyone who else I might have missed, thank you for making this another fantastic year of Fighter Pilot Podcast content. Of course, we need to thank our listeners and our viewers, most of you YouTube viewers. Uh, It has been a labor, but it's been a labor of love, and we're going to keep it going as long as we can. And you can always stand by for future announcements. But yeah, we'll keep the lights on and we'll move it to the fives and 
With that, I want to thank you for a great year. Have a happy new year. And thanks for tuning in to the Fighter Pilot Podcast. We'll see you in 2022. So long. Oh, wait, one more thing. Hey, Dutch, I have actually seen a fly in the cockpit before, and I have actually thought what you were asking. Good one. Thanks to our title sponsor, National University. National University is committed to supporting veterans, active duty personnel, and military families through flexible online courses and master's and doctoral programs in high-demand fields, providing excellent career advancement opportunity. National University is a yellow ribbon school that proudly accepts the post-9-11 GI Bill and goes the extra mile by offering additional assistance to cover expenses that may not be covered by the GI Bill. To learn more, visit nu.edu forward slash veteran.